Well, what are you afraid of? Is it spiders? Is it snakes? Is it public humiliation? Losing your job? I had a person this morning tell me they were afraid of sharks. That's why they live in Dubbo. Um, But the question I really want to ask you tonight is, what are you afraid of that stops you or limits you serving Jesus with everything you have? What are you afraid of that stops you serving Jesus? Do you have enemies that you fear that actually impact the way that you serve Jesus? Well, today's passage tells us who our biggest enemies are and why we have no reason to fear them. But first of all, as we look into this last section of chapter 1, we need a quick recap on what happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth last time we met them. So a few weeks ago, we saw this prediction passed down by the angel Gabriel that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have a child. He was going to be a boy, and they were to call him John. His job was to prepare the way for the Lord. However, this wasn't a young, newly married couple. No, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, and she was barren. And Zechariah doubted that this was even possible, and so he was made mute until the day it was fulfilled. That day had arrived. A child had come, and it all happened as Gabriel foretold. Read with me at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Gabriel said that she would give birth, and Elizabeth did. Gabriel said it would be a boy, and it was. Gabriel said it would be a joy to many, and it was. Let's keep reading. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would, what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. Gabriel told them to name him John, so they made sure they did. And Zechariah's voice returned just as the angel Gabriel said it would. God had faithfully kept all his promises to Zechariah in giving them a child. However, there was much more going on here than perhaps people could grasp. This abnormal birth had people talking. Verse 65. The neighbours were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard it, heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now news spreads so quickly these days. Once it gets to the newspaper, the internet, everyone knows about it. Once something makes it to Facebook, everyone knows about it. Uh, People are watching 
the YouTube videos. When something big breaks, it doesn't take long for the news to spread. And when it does, everyone has their say. But even without all that, the news of this birth was travelling fast and everyone was pitching in their say. When Elizabeth, when Elizabeth had this child, people right across the hill country were talking about it. This was big news and it was spreading and people were quick to make a comment. They were saying, what then is this child going to be? They knew the birth was different, something different. They knew this child was going to, going to be part of something big. But quite what that was, they didn't know. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah did know. And we just have to keep reading because the next section actually gives us an answer to their question. What then is this child going to be? And we ought to take note of what comes next. God had fulfilled all his promises to Zechariah. Fulfillment is on the agenda. The fulfillment of baby John was just the start. But the fulfillment that is coming is far greater. So uh, let's see who it was that Zechariah was talking about. Verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. This is good news for Israel. The people of Israel will be redeemed by their God. And Zechariah is so certain God will fulfill his promises to Israel. But what is being fulfilled? Well, there are three specific fulfillments that he speaks of. And all three speak of God's mercy in saving his people from their enemies. Fulfillment number one is a king from the house of David. A king from the house of David. Verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the promised, God promised the king of Israel, David, that a future king would rule on his throne forever. And the long-awaited king from the line of David was on his way. God was mercifully fulfilling his promise to David. And so convinced of God's faithfulness, Zechariah can say, has, it has now come. And in verse 69, this king is described as the horn of salvation. The horn signifies his strength, which is important because he would need to be strong to rule forever. He would need strength to defeat their enemies. He would need strength to save God's people. This king is Jesus. Fulfillment number two is an oath to Abraham. An oath to Abraham. Verse 72. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now this is big. First, fulfilling a promise made to King David, the greatest king Israel ever had. Now, Zechariah says, 
that this coming king will fulfill a promise made to Abraham, the founding father of the entire nation of Israel. It doesn't get any bigger. God is really pouring out his mercy on Israel. And the oath is this, that Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, would be rescued from their enemies in order to serve God without fear all their days. Israel would no longer have to fear their enemies, which meant they could serve God all their days, truly, rightly, fully and unhindered. This rescuer is Jesus. Fulfillment number three, the way of the Lord prepared. The way of the Lord prepared. Finally, Zechariah gets to his son in verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. The third fulfilment God is faithfully keeping is his promise to send a messenger to make way for this coming Lord and King. John's job was to give Israel the knowledge of the rescuer who would come and save the people by forgiving their sins, showing God's mercy on two counts. Firstly, sending someone to prepare the way so they were ready, and secondly, actually giving the people salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. But did you notice that although his own child has just been born, that is not who Zechariah is shouting praises about. In fact, John only gets half a sentence in this prophecy. This prophecy is about a king coming to rescue God's people from their enemy. Zechariah knows that salvation is coming. John is there to prepare Israel for this saviour. And this saviour is Jesus. But hold on. What kind of salvation? To David was promised a horn, a strong king to defeat their enemies. To Abraham was promised one who would rescue Israel from the hand of their enemies. Surely this coming one was going to be muscly, super strong, an expert fighter and a brilliant, brilliant military leader to bring down the Roman Empire and to lead Israel back to the height of its power, to sit on a golden throne ruling all the peoples of the land and all the people living without fear because no one would dare try and invade because this king is way too strong. How did it say salvation would come? Verse 77. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. This is a different kind of salvation. This restoration was different from any that had come before. That's because it's a different kind of enemy. This salvation was forgiveness from the biggest and greatest enemy, sin. An internal, inherent enemy of every single human being who's ever lived on earth. It's no military war or conquering of Rome. No, it was God's tender mercy. 
Forgiveness had arrived. God was mercifully bringing salvation. God was faithfully fulfilling his great promises. God was delivering his people from their enemies so they could serve him without fear all their days. And Zechariah brings an end to his prophecy, describing just how beautiful this salvation is. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. It is the light of life and peace drowning out the darkness of sin and death and war. I wonder how many of you have had nights when you just can't sleep. You've had a long, stressful day and you lie down to sleep, but you just can't switch off. Or maybe you're really sick. Or maybe something sad has happened. But for whatever reason, you can't sleep and the night just goes on and on and the darkness just makes it all the more depressing. Until that relieving moment when light breaks through your curtains. Now sadly, the new day doesn't usually fix all your problems. You might still be facing those same problems. And the new day might even bring troubles of its own. But just imagine for one moment that it did. That when the sun rose, all your darkness left and all your troubles went away. Wouldn't that be beautiful? At this time, Israel was living under darkness. They were living under Roman occupation, under judgment from God as a consequence for their sin and disobedience. But the sun was about to rise and light was going to shine on those living in this darkness. Salvation was going to come to Israel. God's judgment would be taken from them. All their sins were to be forgiven. Salvation was coming through Jesus. Jesus is the light. And this is great news for Israel. But don't you want to be a part of this? Don't you want all your sins forgiven? Well, the passage actually hints that we can have a piece of this salvation. The imagery of light and the rising sun is taken right out of the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 60, all the nations, not just Israel, all the nations come to the light and rejoice. And this same picture of light drowning out the darkness is there. And then in John's gospel, Jesus is described and calls himself a light to the whole world. When Jesus comes to save the world, he doesn't just come for Israel. No, anyone who believes in him can walk in the light. And so we can all get caught up into God's incredible plan to save people through the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the saviour. Jesus is the forgiver. And when he died on the cross, he did it for you and me. He took away God's judgment that we deserve 
and forgave all our sins. And so now if we have faith in him, we are free from God's judgment and forgiven all our sins. But why? Why rescue us like this? What for? What for? Well, look with me at verses 74 and 75. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, this is a promise first written to the people of Israel, but we've already seen that Jesus actually opens this up to Jews and Gentiles, to to all people, to be saved from our enemies. And in his mercy, God sent Jesus to save us from our enemies so that we could serve him without fear all our days. But what are the enemies that we fear? And how are they crippling our service of Jesus? Well, there are three main ones. Sin, death, and man. So first, sin. The selfish, proud desires that lead us to rejecting and ignoring God. What is it that we fear about sin that cripples our service of God? Well, we can be scared that God won't actually forgive our sins. Not me, we say to ourselves. I stuff up several times a day. No way God could forgive all that. And so because of our fear, we just freeze like a rabbit in the headlights, stuck in sin and scared of the consequences, we stop serving Jesus. Our service of Jesus is frozen. But the salvation that comes is through the forgiveness of sins. All sins, not just some of them. He died once for all. and So we can serve in full confidence and without fear. Or maybe you fear that you're not good enough to serve. You think, I'm such a sinner. God wouldn't use me. There's lots of better choices. But all the time, God uses those who are weak and sinful and imperfect. Because the best thing is, it doesn't matter how good we are. God can do whatever he wants through whoever he wants. So don't be afraid of your sin. Jesus has dealt with it so you can serve him without fear all your days. Well, another, another enemy is death. And that can be scary because the reality is we all die one day. There's no way to avoid it. But some people spend their life in fear of death, which can lead to two reactions. First, you fear death. And so you get sad and, because you know that you're not good enough and you know that by yourself you fall short of God's standards. So you just stop trying to serve Jesus. Or second, you fear death, and so you busy yourself to forget about death. Maybe you work long hours and save up lots of money. Maybe you go on big holidays and adventures, doing whatever you can to put off death. And you're so busy that you forget about God. You're so distracted that you don't serve Jesus wholeheartedly. 
Now, the problem with both of those is that they are self-centred. I'm not good enough, or I'm going to go and do this. They're both inappropriate responses. We actually don't need to fear death because Jesus has already defeated that enemy. In fact, now, here on earth, we have life and life to the full, and then eternal life in a new creation after death. So a better response is to live to serve Jesus with every second you have until you die and to not waste your life. And you can do that without fear, knowing Jesus has defeated death. Well, the third enemy we face is the fear of man. But what about fear of other people, is it, that actually holds us back from serving Jesus wholeheartedly? Well, first of all, we fear people treating us differently if they know we are Christian. We want everyone like everyone to like us, and we want to be popular. And we don't want to be persecuted or isolated for our faith. And so we hide our beliefs or compromise in order to fit in. And then you actually risk idolizing the things of this world instead of following Jesus, because, well, that will make you more popular. Or perhaps you fear looking silly in front of other people. You're worried that they will ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. And you find talking about Jesus too awkward or uncomfortable anyway. And so you don't ever talk about it. We get scared of being labelled a Bible basher that we don't share the gospel at all. Yet again, we should not fear men because they are not who rule our lives. Ultimately, it is God's opinion that matters. Jesus has died for us and bought us by his blood. He is our king now. He is who we serve and follow, not men. And as we live serving Christ, some people aren't going to like that. But that's no surprise. God tells us that that will happen. So it must not stop us serving him. I remember one time I was chatting to a 10-year-old boy and he was telling me about how he'd seen someone standing in the middle of an open shopping mall with a loudspeaker reading out the Bible. And one thing this boy kept asking me was, why don't we go and do that? Now here is a boy who had no fear, no embarrassment, no baggage of how it might affect his reputation. Now he just genuinely wanted to tell people about Jesus. Now, sure, that might not be the best method of evangelism, but that's not the point. We straight away think of excuses and reasons not to do that, but the innocence of a child exposes our own pride and fears. Jesus has come and defeated our enemies, and he has done that so that we can serve him without fear, so that we will serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. What a joy and privilege that is. So let's do it. All the days of our life. Why don't I pray that we would. Merciful Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to save us. Thank you that by his death on the cross, he has defeated our enemies. 
Lord, please help us now by your spirit not to fear, fear sin, death or man, that we would serve you wholeheartedly all the days of our life. And in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.